This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumele Lezondi, broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg on 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also stream us on channelafrica.co.za. I'm with Adwala Netulo, Hussani Matebula and Nedo Chimane. Your top stories. Ivory Coast president launches a new party and announced he will not seek re-election in 2020. Members of the global community roll up their sleeves in remembrance of an icon. In economics, Ethiopia opens to selling off a host of state-owned firms, either partially or entirely, as part of major economic reforms. And in sports, the resumption of Nigeria's domestic league postponed indefinitely amid a leadership crisis currently rocking the country's football. Jola Netulo has your news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. The Commonwealth Nations says the success of Zimbabwe's presidential elections will contribute to the decision whether or not they should be readmitted to the grouping of countries. In 2002, former President Robert Mugabe withdrew Zimbabwe's membership after being suspended. Former Ghanaian President John Mahama will lead the delegation that will observe Zimbabwe's general election on July 30th. Commonwealth Secretary General Patricia Scotland says the observer mission will assess if the election meet the values of the Charter. And one of the first steps for rejoining the Commonwealth is as Secretary-General to make an informal um, assessment of whether they are able to meet the values that are contained in the Commonwealth Charter. And part of that is going to involve us going to Zimbabwe and observing how uh, they manage this election because electoral freedom and participation in electoral processes are the fundamental uh, part of having a real democracy. South Africa's President Soro Ramaphosa says citizens are called upon to speak against the degeneration of Madiba's values of non-racialism and selflessness. He was speaking at the centenary celebrations of the former statesman underway at his home village in Mvezo in the Eastern Cape province. The event also received messages of support from former Presidents Kalama Motlante and Jacob Zuma, among others. President Ramaphosa says had he lived to see today, Madiba would have been worried about the the incidents of racism that has characterized the country. As we reflect on an extraordinary life, we are bound to acknowledge that the greatest trait of this son of the African soil was really his humanity. He is hailed as a global icon. He is memorialized as in towering statues in many parts of the world. His likeness adorns our national currency, yet His most enduring accomplishment was to teach us what it means to be a human. As South Africans, we are proud to say that he was one of us. 
Eight suspected members of militant group Boko Haram have confessed to involvement in the 2014 abduction of some 270 girls from the northeastern village of Chibok. Nigerian police say the militants confessed after being arrested. The mass abduction of the girls from the school caused global outrage and drew attention to the militant group which has been trying to create an Islamic state in northeast Nigeria since 2009. Authorities in Kenya have announced that poachers will be hanged once convicted by the courts. The death penalty replaces life sentence which has been imposed on poachers since 2013 despite jailing poachers for life. Authorities say crimes of poaching continue. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta makes it clear that the fight to deter poachers is to be intensified in the country. However, he points out that global demand for rhino horn and ivory has pushed poachers to the extent of being ruthless in their continued mission to eliminate elephants and rhino. But let me state that no country can defeat the trade in illegal wildlife products alone. Global demand is strong enough and the poachers ruthless enough to require a joint effort if our heritage is to be preserved. Communities living close to wildlife preserves will receive urgent attention globally. And finally, the head of the United Nations AIDS Agency, Michelle Sidibe, has or rather has rejected calls for his resignation over complaints that he shielded a deputy from sexual harassment claims and attacked whistleblowers. The UN AIDS Executive Director told journalists at a meeting in Paris where he released a status report ahead of next week's International AIDS Conference in Amsterdam that he doesn't anticipate leaving his post. Multiple HIV AIDS organizations have demanded CDB's resignation over claims that he protected his deputy Louise Lorez against sexual harassment and assault accusations by a UN aid staffer, Martina Borstrom. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thanks very much, Jolani. It is 1706 Central African Time. Let's start in Ivory Coast, where President Alassane Ouattara has launched a new umbrella party that he says will help ensure continuity and also announced that he will not seek re-election in 2020. The move will turn the forwardist rally for democracy and peace, RHDP, currently the ruling coalition, into a formal party named in honor of the country's founder. Leader. The party held its constitutive uh, assembly on Monday in the capital Abidjan, adopting its statutes unanimously. Watara ran unopposed as a party leader. Our correspondent Kouassi Salai has more from the capital Abidjan. The, the president Watara said, I mean, made it clear he will not seek re-election in the 2020, uh, I mean, upcoming election. Uh, when the umbrella party was launched, and this party uh, bring together. Uh, the RDI, which is the rally of Republican, the own political party of Watara, and many other small political parties in the country who are close to the ideology of the late uh, first president of Cote d'Ivoire, Ufubwani. But the thing is, with this umbrella party, one of the key allies of the former RDI was, I mean, left outside. Uh, so they are discussing to see the way they can bring this party inside because this sign is in interpret it as a way to, I mean, to bring by the tensions between the parties that split the country in two again. So at the time being, uh, people are a little bit scared of what's going to happen because of this umbrella party, uh, which is not a bad idea, but which, I mean, 
keeps aside one of the biggest parties in the country, which is the party of Konabedi, uh, the former Ivory, the former Ivory Coast president. Now, the new party groups Watara's own rally of Republicans with the Union for Democracy and Peace, but one coalition member, the Democratic Party PDCI, has refused to go under this uh, RHDP umbrella. Is this new umbrella party going to eat into the PDCI support base? Uh, do you think, Saleh? Uh, actually, it's going to be very difficult for this new uh, umbrella party to, let's say, to break the PDCI, which has strong ties and strong bases and with, uh, let's say, the biggest part of the, the voters, uh, particularly in the central part of Côte d'Ivoire on the country. So the, the fact that the PDCI rejects, I mean, the demand of the RDI to join the Umbrella Party is not is not making people feel confident of what's going to happen for the, I mean, the, 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 the coming weeks ahead of the, the elections. And because the, these youth are very close to the to the to the leader, Kodombedia, the ex-president, so it's going to be very tough for the coalition, the Umbrella Party, to to try to get members from this side. Now, President Watara did extend an olive branch to the Democratic Party leader Henry Conan Bedie, saying, and I quote: "We must work, President Bedie and I, uh, to transfer power to a new generation in 2020." And Quote, has BDA um, responded yet to Watara's appeal, Saleh? Actually, Conan BDA rejected this appeal. Uh, he has not produced an official statement yet, but when we press people, talk to, I mean, to people who are very close to Conan BDA, the common things that come out from this talk is that, uh, actually, BDA is probably seeking for another turn. He wants to run for the, the 2020 elections. So he was expecting support from the, the coalition party for himself, Bedi, and not this offer from Watara, as Watara is calling for a new generation to transfer the power for a new generation. So this option is quite against the will of the president, Bedi, which is actually expecting to run. But Watara said it and made it clear that he's not going to, to seek re-election in the 2020, but nothing is really sure because uh, three days ago he said that Depending on the atmosphere in the country, if there are some facts that are going to, you know, threat the stability of the country, he's not going to, to set aside. He, he will be, I mean, he run again for elections. So we are like in a, in a, a political game uh, where the two sides are not clearly showing what they will be, uh, what they will, they'll be doing in the, the next weeks or months, let's say, ahead the 2020 elections. That is Kuwasi Selai, who's a correspondent in Ivory Coast, talking to Kumbero Mujerere. The cholera disease spreading over Cameroon has claimed the lives of over 40 children and hundreds of others have been rushed to several hospitals in the Central African state. It's feared some of the cases were imported from Nigeria and may contaminate refugee children fleeing the Boko Haram insurgency. Mokikinzeka is in Yawende. The latest is a 40-year-old mother who was traveling with his family of nine, and all of them, including six girls, were diagnosed with cholera following severe vomiting at a train station. She later died and was buried. Hamadiku Aruna, delegate of health for the Adamawa region of Cameroon, where the nine cases were reported, told Channel Africa that he immediately dispatched health workers to disinfect the train and the houses 
where the patients were lodged. He says all the people who buried the lady and those who went to the site of the burial were taken to the hospital and their houses were disinfected. He says he has passed a strongly worded message to the population to improve hygiene and declare all suspected cases to the administration. The patients were returning from North Cameroon. This has provoked fears that the disease may get into the southern part of the country that is home to over 18 million people. Kasala, senior official of Cameroon's Red Cross in the north of the country, says they are taking all necessary measures to stop the spread of the disease. He says they are educating people and doing epidemiological surveillance of the disease, but that they are laying special emphasis on personal hygiene. Health workers in northern Cameroon say a lack of access to latrines and safe drinking water is contributing to the spread of infectious disease in the region. George Fobin, a nurse working with Cameroon's health ministry, says that may be the main reason for the spread of cholera. There's no sewage treatment plants. A big city like that, we need a sewage treatment plant where all this liquid waste can be sent and treated and then the water that comes out can go back to nature. We don't have. That's a serious problem we're facing. Water shortages are also common in the north and the existing wells cannot provide enough water. Only 30% of people in rural Cameroon have access to safe water and just 15% to sanitation facilities, according to a 2009 report by UN Children's Fund UNICEF. Tatanzelen of the non-governmental organization Water and Sanitation, or WASH, told Channel Africa that if the government does not supply such needs, it will be difficult to contain the disease. The situation is not good in the city of Yaoundé as access to water, only those who can pay can have water. But when you go into the quarters, you see that people are carrying water from very inhygienic sources. If the water is contaminated, automatically will be contaminated. We are calling on partner organizations like UNICEF and others to see how they can extend their support not only to the Ministry of Water and Energy, but to the other ministries like education, basic education, who have to teach children on hygiene and sanitation practices. We have to see too with the Ministry of Family and Empowerment of the Woman to see how households, parents can be taught on how to be hygienic, how to get water from better sources and how to use this water. Health officials said some refugees fleeing Boko Haram terrorism in Nigeria might have brought in the disease and somehow contaminated a water source, then the infection spread from there once the rains started. Medic Professor Fru Angwafo says he cannot rule out that possibility. It is not possible to stop people from moving. So that it is entirely possible that somebody that is contaminated is moving from one region to the other. And this essentially has been the case. Because of this high mobility of patients, we now have the disease in these areas. The cholera burden in Cameroon has increased during the past two decades. 
During 2010 and 2011, the largest number of cholera cases in Cameroon since February 1971 were reported. Cholera reached the coast of Cameroon in February 1971, leading to 2,167 cases, according to reports by the World Health Organization. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. I'm an actress, I'm a motivational speaker, born with albinism. Um, the nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no, why are you asking me that question? When I grew up, there was no publication of person with albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following time, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report. An enlightened narrative with me, Pule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. It is 17.17 Central African time on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. Now, South Africa is a hive of activity as celebrations are underway to mark the centenary of the country's former president, Nelson Mandela. Mandela's politics were shaped within the oldest liberation movement, the African National Congress. Channel Africa also played its to-do 67 minutes of sweeping the streets of Johannesburg clean. We spoke to executive mayor of the city of Johannesburg Herman Mashaba. Thank you so much uh, for giving us uh, this opportunity. Secondly, for being part of this uh, great initiative. And uh, today, it's, it's wonderful to be a South African. I think we, we are away. Obviously, we're not naive that uh, our country does not have challenges. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, I feel a proud South African because on, uh, on the 27th of uh, April 1994, Nelson Mandela gave me the freedom sure. to be a citizen of this country. He's, uh, he's the man that gave us pride as, 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 as human beings. Today, globally, mm. people of the world are celebrating South Africa. They're celebrating this great mm. uh, son of the soil. So for me, it's really wonderful uh, that uh, I can feel this way because you can imagine I spent um, more, almost half of my life with no citizenship. Uh, <laughs> sure. We're denied uh, the opportunity mm. to be a human being. Sure. So thanks so much uh, for being here. We're excited as, as a city to really make sure that we can live up uh, to what Mandela wanted uh, all of us as South Africans in the world to become. Yeah, you look fantastic today. you actually not wearing your uh, sophisticated, shiny tie as usual and your... Uh, uh, nice suit you actually uh, I've never seen you looking like this in the blue pick it up overall and uh, taking things easy today tell us a little bit about what your day is going to look like today for the 67 minutes well uh, in fact uh, <laughs> you say that you know th- this is what I do it at least once a month we launched a project as a city of Johannesburg called Adesabeting mm. uh, in September last year where every month uh, we get the residents of the city of Johannesburg uh, help us uh, 
Mr. Tlina was city and uh, four or five months ago uh, city employees then joined uh, also to actually participate so twice a month I get involved uh, in in, uh, in in clothing and attire like this. <laughs> sure. Work with city officials. Work with our communities uh, to clean our, our areas. So today, uh, as you've already indicated, uh, we are going to be cleaning the the, the uh, park station prison. Mm. I've uh, just uh, arrived uh, from Soweto. I've been in Soweto from nine o'clock in Orlando cleaning uh, the, the spread uh, the, uh, the, uh, river in, in in Orlando West. Sure. The, uh, planting. The, trees and uh, making sure that uh, the people can live in an environment that they, where they can be proud of so i'm here with you we're going to obviously i hope uh, we'll we'll have to get uh, pick it up to make sure that uh, sure they, we'll get they, our hands dirty the dirty <laughs> and then when i finish here i will be doing the work with with the, with the elders to the constitutional uh, court okay. uh, so it's going to really be a, a busy day that's why i said to my in my opening statement it, it is wonderful it's great to be a south african today Johannesburg Executive Mayor Herman Mashaba speaking to Benjamin Mushadama. The late Nelson Mandela was a gift not only to South Africans but to the rest of the world. So says Commonwealth Secretary General Patricia Scotland, currently on her first official visit to the country. She already took part in a dialogue on boosting employment in sub-Saharan Africa, attended various celebrations marking the centenary of President Nelson Mandela's birth, and will continue to meet government ministers to discuss the outcomes of the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in London in April, which President Cyril Ramaphosa attended. She took time to come to China Africa to talk about her visit to South Africa and how she remembers Madiba. I came first of all to talk about youth and entrepreneurship. We know in sub-Saharan Africa one of the most terrible things that we have is unemployment for our young people and lack of hope and aspiration. So we came together as international agencies to talk about how do we turn that around. But also I came to celebrate Madiba, a hundred years today. He is not just a South African icon, he's a global icon. And I remember how powerfully important he was for me when I was a young child growing up in England, so many miles away from South Africa, but experiencing so many of the things that South African young children of my complexion were suffering right here. So it's great to be here, to celebrate him, and to have been present yesterday at the Obama lecture. But I've also come to speak to President Ramaphosa, to your fabulous foreign minister, Lindaway Sisulu, and the other ministers. Because we as a commonwealth are a family, a real family of nations. There are 53 countries in our family from six different regions. We have some of the richest countries in the world, some of the poorest countries in the world, some of the smallest, some of the largest, and everything in between. But we are one family. You said now you grew up as a child knowing about him. You can also speak now from the position of the Commonwealth Secretary General. Any precious thing that you would like to say about our Madiba on his birthday? Well, I want to thank South Africa for him because he is a gift, not just to every South African. He is a gift to every person in the world because he embodies all the best of humanity. He taught us what courage looks like. He taught us what gentleness and kindness looks like. But he also taught us forgiveness. And when you think of what Madiba went through, imprisonment, subjugation, vilification, 
And basically, they threatened his life. All of this time, he had a sword of Damocles hanging over him. At any moment, they could have changed their minds. All of this, I think, makes him a huge gift to us. And I remember his humility. I had the privilege when I was a minister in the United Kingdom government before I was a foreign minister, then I was deputy to the Lord Chancellor, then I was deputy Home Secretary, then I was Attorney General. And one of the biggest privileges I ever had was to have an intimate lunch with Madiba where we were able to just talk to him about his experiences. And, you know, so many people you meet are not as great as you hope they will be when you meet them. I was about to ask you. With Madiba, he was 10,000 times better. You couldn't dream of meeting someone as wonderful as he. And I know every single person who had the privilege to meet him never, ever forgot it. And that is a gift that South Africa gave to the world. Him and Arch... Archbishop Disman Tutu. We can still hug and kiss Arch. We can't any longer hug and kiss Madiba, except in our hearts. He will always be in our hearts. During his lifetime, and I know that South African Commonwealth ties goes back for decades. Yes. Was Madiba interested in the Commonwealth, discussing things on that platform? No, he absolutely was. Because remember, during some of South Africa's darkest days in apartheid, the Commonwealth stood shoulder to shoulder with South Africa. And it was a very important moment when actually the Commonwealth said that South Africa, under apartheid, couldn't be part of our Commonwealth because it was no longer holding up to the values of equality of every single human being. In our Commonwealth, everyone is equal. Whether you are the prime minister of a country of 1.2 billion people, which is India, or the prime minister of a small country like Nauru, who only has, I think, about 11,000 people, you are equals and everyone is of the same value. And I think everyone will never forget what the queen did, because at a time when many were saying to her, you must not stand with your commonwealth. You must stand with those who would wish the apartheid regime to continue to be part of our commonwealth. Her Majesty said, I stand with my commonwealth. And the commonwealth stood with Madiba. Now that's Commonwealth Secretary General Patricia Scotland talking to Channel Africa's Janine Kutze in studio earlier today. Now, a century after his birth and five years after his death, Nelson Mandela is still inspiring people and still provoking debate. Many in South Africa are marking this day with acts of charity, remembering Mandela's own sacrifices in the fights against apartheid. But some people, angry at the country's enduring inequalities, are starting to question the compromises he made to secure peace. The BBC's Andrew Harding reports from Johannesburg. It's the 100th anniversary of his legacy, and we want to go bigger and better than last year. It's that time of year again in South Africa, and on the face of it, Nelson Mandela has lost none of his power to inspire. This year, we want to double it. There's the usual frenzy of Mandela-themed charity drives and foreign dignitaries invited to join in. Thank you so much. 
This is Barack Obama getting a huge welcome yesterday here in Johannesburg, where he spoke of the enduring power of Mandela's legacy. I believe in Nelson Mandela's vision. I believe in a vision of equality and justice and freedom and multiracial democracy. But, and it's an awkward but, five years after Mandela's death, some here in South Africa are starting to question the great man's achievements. On a cold morning, the rapper Cheesy Beasy is filming a music video on, naturally, Nelson Mandela Bridge. But the generation that never knew President Mandela is wondering whether South Africa's enduring inequalities are partly his fault. He should have done, like, free our people more and not sell us out. Large numbers of black people, they should be owning companies. Okay, his legacy is great, but he failed South Africa by not pushing harder for us to be at least free from the oppression from the white people. You understand? When it comes to the businesses, the, uh, the land... Some of this frustration is simply the product of a lost decade of economic stagnation, corruption and soaring youth unemployment. But there's more to it. Public hearings to discuss land reform and specifically proposals to confiscate white-owned land. We don't depend on them, on white minority. We're sick and tired. Let's move swiftly to take our land back. We'll regain our dignity. Land is ours. These people do not own the land. Why do I have to explain myself after so much suffering that they have caused us? EFF, thank you. This anger is being exploited by populist politicians, but that doesn't make it any less genuine. Most people here recognise that Nelson Mandela and his team made necessary compromises in the early 1990s, ending racial apartheid peacefully, but allowing whites to keep their economic power. There were compromises, and in some instances those compromises were quite bad, and it's only showing now. The veteran journalist Matata Sedu says it's inevitable that those deals are now being questioned and new solutions sought. Just the mere fact that questions are being asked is actually a very, very good thing because it means that young people are engaged with their own present and future. Which, presumably, would have pleased Mandela himself, a man who preached reconciliation but fought, above all, for justice. We must therefore act together as a united people for national reconciliation, for nation-building, for the birth of a new world. Let that be justice for all. That is South African icon Nelson Mandela ending their reports by the BBC's Andrew Harding in Johannesburg. 1730 Central Africans have now here Strola Natula with your headlines. Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines. The Commonwealth Nations says the success of Zimbabwe's presidential elections will contribute to the decision whether or not they should be readmitted to the grouping of countries. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says citizens are called upon to speak against the degeneration of Madiba's values of non-racialism and selflessness. And finally, authorities in Kenya have announced that poachers will be hanged once convicted by the courts. For Channel Africa... I'm Jolani Tudor.
Thank you very much, Joalane. It is info at channelafrica.co.za if you want to email us. Now, a two-day dialogue between the Communist Party of China and some 40 political parties and organizations from nearly 40 African countries is closed in Tanzania's commercial capital, Dar es Salaam. The second high-level, pa- uh, high-level political parties meeting hosted by Tanzania's ruling party, Chamachama Binduzi, CCM, have urged the continent's leaders to promote and practice the Africa-China cooperation since both China and Africa got a long-term historical relationship which saw African countries flourishing economically through the mutual friendship. Gabriel Zakaria is in Dar es Salaam. During the closing remarks from Sang Tao, head of the International Department of the Central Committee of CPC, told the leaders from 40 socialism learning parties across the African continent that his party CPC stands ready to work together with African political parties to promote the building of a community with a shared future for China and Africa. So, and political parties in China and Africa are the ones that make the policies and the ones that implement the policies. Therefore, it is very important for leaders of political parties to come together and have exchanges so that they can better perform as the leadership of the development of their respective countries so that they can provide good leadership to economic growth and also they come together for exchanges and enhance mutual understanding and also contribute to the building of a community with a shared future for China and Africa. Tanzanian's President John Magufuli, who hosted a two-day dialogue, have urged his colleagues to keep adherence to people-centered development, saying African leaders and the CPC have to benefit from each other economically in order to realize the African dreams that have not been yet realized. Other leaders from Africa who made their contributions during the meeting have said there are many areas where China can enhance partnership with Africa, mainly in science and technology, increasing investment in Africa, especially in agriculture, industry and mining, and increasing China's imports from Africa, such as coffee, tea and cotton. Dr. Bernard Chiula is a senior lecturer at the Institute of Diplomacy and International Relations based in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, who shares the light about the dialogue. I think this is an example of the part which has embraced all democratic principles. And to to system to be the host of all these political parties, it means that they have seen that the system is a mother party where we can learn we can learn a lot. The way Tanzania has has done you know, to embrace all tribes, all religions, all colours, we have some here Indians, Arabs, Africans. And then remember it was Tanzania that opened the world for the Chinese. It was the Malinere who fought for the recognition of China at the United Nations to have a seat at the United Nations uh, 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 Security Council. So now Chinese China now has become a military power, an economic powerhouse, uh, and now I think they take the role 
to come back and say, okay, we want to pay back. President John Magufuli of Tanzania said that choosing Africa and Tanzania as the venue of the overseas debate of the CPC in dialogue with the World Political Party's high-level meeting shows that the CPC values Africa and signifies the profound friendship between Tanzania and China. Dr. Achiula again. Economic diplomacy means we need more investments, we need more trade, we need more tourists, we need more financial aid, and then we need more loans. So, you know, by emphasizing economic diplomacy, President Magufuli knows that, you know, the only country in the world which can be ready to, to work with us without any big frictions is China. It has shown that, that for many years that now they are ready to work with us in, in, in a partnership, fifth win-win situation. Formerly, you know, the Western world came came to us with their preconditions, we should do this, we should do this, and then, but at the end of the day, we've seen that after 50 years, we have gone nowhere. So I think the Chinese are real in essence, they want to work with the Africans. That's why we say we need them more here in Africa to work together with them for, for the betterment of our societies. Meanwhile, President John Magufuli said that Choosing Africa and Tanzania as the venue of the overseas debate of the CPC in dialogue with the World Political Party's high-level meeting shows that the CPC values Africa and signifies the profound friendship between Tanzania and China. Dr. Achiula again. The CPC in dialogue with the World Political Parties held its first high-level meeting in Beijing in 2017 when more than 300 leaders of political parties and organizations from around the world gathered for deliberation on the building of a community with a shared future for mankind and a better world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Accessibility, especially in today's urban environments, involves a lot more than installation and uh, installing ramps in order to ensure that people with disabilities can enjoy the rights they are entitled to. That's according to Maria Sistena Ceres, the United Nations Special Envoy on Disability and Accessibility. Despite recent advances towards inclusive societies, an enormous gap remains between commitments and the daily experiences of persons with disabilities required a concerted effort to ensure that they are not left behind as outlined in the 2030 Development Agenda and Sustainable Development Goals. Sistena Sriz says she has a clear vision for persons with disabilities. 
I am blind. I lost my vision during 10 or 15 years, a progressive disease in my retina. I think that New York and especially Manhattan has the different challenges for the full accessibility. Accessibility is not only ramps, it's more than ramps. For example, traffic lights with sounds, metro with audio announce the stations, bathroom with accessibility, training of the employees in public sector to attend the needs of persons with disabilities. And in developed country, it is very important the accessibility in terms of technology for information and communication. TV channels needs to put the information in accessible way for deaf persons. And there are other challenges in relation to other disabilities deaf-blind persons to persons with intellectual disabilities, persons with psychosocial disabilities. All of us need different formats, but accessible formats to read or to understand the information. Did you encounter any issues this morning, for example, coming to the United Nations? In general, in the session, I, I didn't have uh, obstacles because I heard with the headphones the information of the conference. But I know that for deaf persons, it's not easy if there is not sign language interpretation. I think that it is very important to create the inclusive culture in United Nations, but I am happy because the Secretary General undertake decisions about the mainstreaming of the rights of persons with disabilities and accessibilities, and one of them is to create guidelines for the accessibility in headquarters and other buildings of United Nations. When did the Secretary General appoint you? Last year, he appointed me as a special envoy. And for me, it was an impressive news because I am a blind person, a woman, and I live in the south of the world, Chile. And I think that the Secretary General has the confidence in the abilities and capacities to fight in, in connection with different topics of human rights and social development, too. Which sustainable development goal is most relevant in your work as a special envoy? My task is the promotion of human rights and accessibility. And accessibility has a particular profile. And for this reason, SDG number 11 is very strong in terms of the implementation. But consider the decisions of the states' parties. But 
the participative management of the topic and the contributions of the private sectors through the investment of companies. I do believe that awareness raising is very important for this real implementation in terms of accessibility, especially when we are speaking about the smart cities. It is necessary to insist in the topic of accessibility because it's the condition for the exercise of different human rights and fundamental freedoms, a politic, civil, economic, social and cultural rights. We cannot speak about sustainable development without universal accessibility. It is important to explain that universal accessibility is not only for persons with disabilities, but older persons, pregnant mother, babies in a stroller, persons who suffer an accident, and different conditions of the person based in the diversity of the human being. All the SDGs are important, but we'd like to mention SDG number 16, because this is the fight against violence, against violation of human rights in terms of bad treatments, against discrimination, etc. I think that the prescription about access to justice for all, pacific societies and inclusive institutions with accountability is the best point to close the circle in the political system when all the citizens can claim if their rights are in violation. That is Maria Sistena Soriz of the UN Special Envoy on Disability and Accessibility talking to UN Radio's Liz Scafidi. It is 17.45 Central African Time. Your economic news here is Wesane Matebula. We start off in Ethiopia where the country is open to selling of a host of state-owned firms either partially or entirely as part of a major economic reforms designed to unleash the potential of the private sector. The government says it will retain majority holdings in the state-run airline, logistics, telecoms and energy companies. However, everything else from hotels to sugar farming to cement production could be up for sale. Meanwhile, Ethiopia and Eritrea are resuming scheduled flights between each other's capitals. The development comes a week after the two nations declared an end to a two-decade conflict. The rapport could help Ethiopia, a landlocked country of 100 million people with the largest economy in East Africa, by making access to Eritrea's ports possible. The BBC's David Bamford reports. The first Ethiopian Airlines passenger flight to Eritrea for more than 20 years was due to take off this morning. It's the latest in a series of steps aimed at normalizing relations just over a week after the former enemies signed a declaration ending two decades of hostility. Eritrea broke away from Ethiopia in 1993. Five years later, they began a border war in which about 80,000 people were killed. 
Kenya's EGM Securities has launched the country's first locally regulated foreign exchange electronic trading platform, opening up domestic forex trading to a broader range of investors. Kenyan investors who wish to trade currencies on the internet have previously had access to international brokers, but none was overseen by the local market regulator, the Capital Markets Authority. The Kenyan shilling is one of the most traded currencies in sub-Saharan Africa. Dollar shilling currency trading is regulated by the central bank and will therefore be excluded from the platform. Economists uh, say South Africa's inflation came in lower than initially expected. Statistics South Africa reported a small jump in inflation to 4.6% in June 2018 from 4.4% in May 2018. Economist Elite Kruger says uh, the largest uh, contribution to the uptick in the figure came from petrol price increase. Headline inflation for June came out better than expected at 4.6%, uh, up from the 4.4% of May, though expectations were for a figure of 4.8%. Uh, the main drivers of today's figure was basically the petrol price uh, that increased by 82 cents per litre and diesel by 85 cents per litre. For the rest, only housing utilities contributed to the monthly change. It shows us the bulk of the baskets got, got quite moderate pricing pressures. Remittances from Egyptians abroad are expected to hit 26 billion US dollars for the 2017 fiscal year that ended in June. This is a 50% jump year on year, but less than earlier projection. Remittances have surged since Egypt floated its pound currency in late 2016 and drew hard currency back to its official banking system, drying up the then-thriving black market for dollars. Remittances have become a crucial source of hard currency for the import-dependent country. Financial indicators say the dollar at 10.05, Botswana Pula, 9.98, Nine eight uh, Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the dollar is stronger at 3.85 Brazilian Real, 62.44 Russian Ruble, 68.21 Indian Rupee, 6.7 Chinese Yuan, and at 13.23 South African Rand. In European currencies, it's at uh, 75 pence to the British pound and any 85 cents against the euro. Commodities gold a thousand two hundred and twenty seven dollars. Platinum $815 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil $71.88 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. And it is 17.50 Central African time. Here's Sports News Now. Here's Neto Chemane. With your latest to Channel Africa Sports News at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chemane. From the sports desk, a very good evening. Starting off with tennis news. With South Africa and the world celebrating Mandela Day, wheelchair tennis South Africa WTSA has declared its great pride in celebrating the sporting achievements of the trailblazer Khutazo Monjani for her Wimbledon success last week at SW19 in London. 
the world number six wheelchair tennis ace was awarded a wild card to the grass court event and it was her first appearance ever at Wimbledon but impressed fans as she fought commendably to secure a quarterfinal win over the former world number six Katharina Kruger from Germany. The 32-year-old then bravely challenged the defending champion and world number one Diede de Groot from the Netherlands in the semi-final but lost to the top seed 1-6-5-7. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa CEO Karen Losh says Montana's Wimbledon performance has put South Africa on the map. We're very, very proud of KG and her performance at Wimbledon. It really uh, puts South Africa and um, all the athletes on the map. And what a, a fantastic time of the year to be able to do that. Asked about what Madiba Day means to wheelchair tennis South Africa, Losha says that Global Icon Day is an inspiration to people with disabilities. I think it's really an opportunity for us to, to celebrate his values and show that sport can have the power to change the world. And I think KG just shows how that is possible. Um, we also have another athlete um, who is number one in the world, Mariska Fenter, who is now, she's now starting a modeling career. And I think that also shows what an opportunity it is for us to use Mandela Day to show that we can make a difference and the people with a disability can stand out. On to Soka News. The South African national under-20 head coach Tabo Sinong is banking on their good run in this year's qualifiers to carry them through to the under-20 African Nations Cup Afghan tournament in Niger next year. Amajita have to overcome Malawi and Plantaya on Saturday in the final round second leg of the Afghan qualifiers after the two teams played a goalless draw at Muruleng Stadium this past weekend. They leave tomorrow for Malawi and Sinong says their good run so far has prepared them well for this decisive leg. The performances, our performance is actually giving us good hope, you know, uh, not conceding and creating chances. I think we are positive to say, no, we are going to do well. We still believe we won't concede and we strongly believe we are going to score, you know, and um, we don't have any injuries and the boys are looking sharp, happy, good in camp. So we have no doubt that I think we'll get a good result. And uh, of course, maybe some of the lads were a bit disappointed not to have scored, but uh, we told them about the performance to say you performed very well. And uh, with the same performance, we have a chance to score in Malawi. The top four teams in Niger next year will qualify for the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in Poland in May next year. Sinong had also taken the team to the World Cup in South Korea last year, but now he knows that they have to get there and perform. We were absent in CAF tournaments and uh, FIFA tournaments, but then now our presence also says we still have to learn uh, the demands of those respective tournaments. And I must be honest that uh, going to the Olympics and... 2016 and uh, going to the World Cup in 2017 and also having been part of the Afcons, I think uh, we've, we've definitely learned as a coaching staff uh, in terms of the demands, in terms of preparation and uh, we're definitely looking forward to go back again into this kind of tournament, CAF FIFA and hopefully do much better than we did before. The resumption of Nigeria's domestic league has been postponed indefinitely amid a leadership crisis currently rocking the country's football. Chris Giwa, founder of a rival faction in the Nigerian Football Federation, NFF, armed with a court ruling from 2014, is now claiming to control the governing body. His accession comes despite serving a ban imposed by football's world governing body FIFA, who recognized Amaju Pinnick as NFF president. Domestic football was due to resume on the 18th of July after taking a break while the World Cup took place. 
and finally in cricket news, Proteus spinner Dabrayiz Shamsi is back in Sri Lanka and is available for selection for the second test in Colombo on Friday. The 28-year-old flew back home to South Africa after the first test due to family reasons and at the time it was not known when or not he would return to the Proteus camp. But Cricket South Africa CSA confirmed this afternoon that the wrist spinner was with the squad in Sri Lanka and that he is in line to be picked for the second and final test. South Africa lost the first test by a massive 278 runs in Gale with Shamsi recording figures of 3 for 91 and 1 for 37 in what was just his second test for the Proteus. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sports, I'm Neto and Eto Chamani. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.56 Central African time, recapping our top stories. Ivory Coast President launches a new party and announced he will not seek re-election in 2020. Members of the global community roll up their sleeves in remembrance of an icon. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Pumela Lezondi, producer, Luanda Mahoma, technical producer, Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for being with us this hour. For comments, send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. Your WhatsApp messages, plus 2776-300-3327, plus 2776-300-3327. You can also tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with Africa by Jimmy Lulu and BB Winans. I am grateful when I see how far we've come We honor them all who's gone before us That gave their lives a sacrifice with this song Do you believe that love will conquer hatred at the end And the battle we're facing we win Africa